episode 53 of Friends and Film, a podcast where we talk about the latest movie news and theatrical releases. I'm your host, Cooper Hood, once again joined by Josh Straley. On this episode, we're going to talk about the synopsis for Pirates 5, Han Solo getting a mentor, Affleck potentially ditching the solo Batman movie, and more, all before we review two Oscar contenders. You can follow us on Twitter, Facebook, SoundCloud, and iTunes at Friends and Film. Josh? Hello, everyone. Welcome back to the next episode of Friends and Film. Yes, cool. second of 2017. 53rd overall? Yes. Awesome. You just said it. I hope I would get that right. (laughs) (laughs) What have you been up to? All right. Well, I know last week I said I was going to dive into the alien anthology. Yes. Is that what it's called? Yes. Uh, And I have successfully taken out the first four, all with Sigourney Weaver in the lead. Uh, And they're all very different. They are. Um, The first one's very much the horror. And then James Cameron took over for aliens mm-hmm. i could not believe that and it was hard watching that and not thinking he stole practically all of this from avatar for avatar yeah. <laughs> um and then the other two were yeah just the third one was a uh, bleh and then yeah. the fourth one was just like absolutely abhorrent <laughs> yeah fourth one you're just like wait what is happening oh okay i'm not on board for this at all yeah okay like didn't she oh they're cloning oh it turns out oh. the monster <laughs> yeah and it's yeah. like like i saw all this coming Come yeah on. Did you watch anything else besides Aliens and then A Monster Calls and La La Land? That made up my entire week. Okay. Other than maybe, you know, a few episodes of 30 Rock here and there. Right. I, uh, after seeing La La Land, watched Whiplash again. Uh, oh, to see yeah. Damien Chazelle's other film, which I love. Um, I watched uh, Step Brothers as well, just to get a comedy under my belt for early in the year. Classic. Uh, very classic. And I also watched uh, Fences, uh, Denzel. And Viola Davis. And Viola Davis, yeah, another potential Oscar movie. And terrific? I liked it. I didn't think it was incredible. Okay. Um, it's it's adapted from a play that Denzel starred in at one point. Mm-hmm. Viola Davis starred in it at another point, uh, which is why both of them had these roles. Is why Denzel wanted to direct it. Um, but for me, and... It's going to be kind of contradictory to what I'll say about La La Land, where Denzel uses a lot of long takes to make it still feel like a play, Mm -hmm. and it didn't work as well for me because it's just, it's kind of bland in the the way it's shot. It just focused on the one person. There's there's not really a dynamic, and uh, it's just a lot of talking in the backyard um, about the fence, about the struggles, which it has like a good story, but. Um, it felt a little long, um, bored me a little bit, but the performances are definitely what's going to make this, I think a Oscar or just awards in general contender. And I think for that, it's definitely deserved because Denzel and Viola Davis are definitely both powerhouses. I was going to say Viola Davis is where I've been hearing it's at. So um, you've heard, you've seen the snot scene mm -hmm. in the trailers and stuff. And that's definitely probably the best scene in the movie it's interesting you say that though because when you think about it like a play when you're there like and everything's you know all one fluid thing mm-hmm. it works because there's that live interaction right. so if you remove that and you just have that same feel with you know no cuts or nothing to keep you energized yeah huh it's just yeah it, there was there was almost like a sense of i mean less life in it mm-hmm. um as a movie instead of i think it would still be a great story through a play and probably sure. be more engaging because you're there. Yeah. You're, I think you'd be a little bit more invested. But for this, it was just like, 
this is kind of formulaic movie making mm-hmm. in a sense. Um, and there were also, I don't know if it's just my theater, but like on three or four occasions where the camera was like out of focus, I'm pretty sure. Mm-hmm. And that just, every time it happened, it threw me out of the movie. And I was like, yeah, why am I, why is this camera focused on the back of Denzel's head and stuff on the face of this other guy? Uh-huh. It, was, it was very oh. weird. Um, hopefully it was just my theater and not like a yeah. editing mishap on their part. But, uh, either way, I'm, I was glad to check it out before, uh, Oscar season, yeah. uh, the nominations and everything. So, and maybe it'll, I don't know if it's nominated for any golden globes, but golden globes are tomorrow yep. as of this recording. So, it could come out with some awards potentially from there. I think Viola Davis is most likely nominated, I would assume. I would be shocked if not. I haven't actually looked up on the Globes. But uh, we got some news to talk about this week. If you want to skip to our reviews, there will be a timestamp in the description of this episode. Uh, but we're going to start off with the flyby where uh, the Howard Reporter revealed that Ralph Fiennes and Hugh Laurie have joined the Will Ferrell and John C. Riley led Holmes and Watson. Oh, I almost forgot about this story, but what better Englishman, you know, to drop in there? And I've been, Ralph Fiennes is terrific. Yeah, I mean, I really like Ralph Fiennes. I've, I've not watched House, but I mean, Hugh Laurie is a, uh, a well known actor, mm-hmm. very versatile. Um, so I think this is a great fit. I would, I hope Ralph Fiennes is like the villain. Of the film, I don't think their oh, character details have uh, been discussed yet, but I, that's where I would like to see him. Hugh Laurie doesn't strike you as like villainous. He does, but I I don't know. Just like when I saw Ralph Fiennes, like I hope he's um, what is it? It's Moriarty or um, Moriarty? Moriarty, yeah. Oh Isn't yeah, he their, the, their their main the guy, Sherlock villain. Yeah, so I think I think that would be a good fit for uh, Fiennes, especially for this comedy oriented yes. movie. Yeah. Totally. Um, but we also got a, a official casting edition for Black Panther as well with Emmy Award winning Sterling K. Brown uh, being the latest one to join the cast. Holy smokes. Just another one. Is there anybody? Is there Who is not yet? Is Sam, Denzel. And Samuel L. Jackson. Well, Samuel, he's already in the MCU, so yeah, I don't think Nick Fury is going to appear. You but know, I, I forgot mean, he was Nick Fury for it's like, like 10 seconds. <laughs> yeah. The only people left are Denzel and Morgan Freeman. Mm-hmm. If they get those people, then this will <laughs> literally be the the who's who of black actors yeah. and actresses Holy in uh, Hollywood. Man, I am I am so ready. They start filming this uh, in February spring? or no, in like a week actually. That is so awesome. Be very cool. Apparently, there's already like Chadwick Boseman and Denai Guerrera and Lupita have already reported to Atlanta to uh, prep for filming next week. So. Uh, maybe we'll have some set picks to talk about uh, come great. the next episode. But keeping with superheroes, Anya Taylor-Joy, who has been rumored for a very long time to be involved with New Mutants as uh, Magic, she continues to downplay her involvement, but she did seem to confirm yet again that James McAvoy will be involved with the project reprising his role as Professor X, even though he is said to not have a contract. So... What do you want to see McAvoy involved I mean, in this? I think I absolutely I do because you have to have Professor X mm-hmm. there. Um, it, it would be you know we it would be awful or weird to see them write him out of yeah. a young mutant X Men movie. <laughs> like, how did these kids get the keys to the mansion? You know, right. or whatever the case was. Uh, so yeah, I I'm, this is great news. 
Yeah, I mean, this is something I think we've heard multiple times. Uh, now that's coming from Andy Taylor Joy doesn't necessarily mean it is for sure happening, but the way she is continue to talk about how she finds the world fascinating and how she thinks it's it'd be a great move for her career to hypothetically join this franchise, yeah. uh, I think is a great move. And having James McAvoy come back as Professor X, mm-hmm. he is like the one. I don't want to see Jennifer Lawrence as Mystique come back and be like the the mentor to these. I want to see it be Professor X. Absolutely. Teaching them, or I know there's been rumors of like uh, Alexandra Ship uh, reappearing as Storm. She's just like, she's a brand new X Men at the end of Apocalypse. I don't know how that would work, but yeah, I think you have to have McAvoy uh, in New Mutants in, in some capacity. I just hope this movie actually, you know, gets off the ground finally so we can stop playing coy and get some like official Fox like details yeah. on this. Cause well, this is. Getting a little frustrating. Filming's supposed to start in May, so we should uh, have some details relatively soon. Uh, and we got some more details on Pirates of the Caribbean 5, Dead Men Tell No Tales, thanks to Disney releasing the official synopsis for the film, which uh, reads, uh, The rip-roaring adventure finds down-on-his-luck Captain Jack feeling the winds of ill fortune blowing strongly in his way when deadly ghost sailors led by terrifying captain salazar played by javier bardem escape from the devil's triangle bent on killing every pirate at sea notably jack jack's only hope of survival in the legendary trident of poseidon but to find it he must forge an uneasy alliance with karina smith played by kaya scodelario a brilliant and beautiful astronomer and henry played by brenton swaiths a headstrong young sailor in the royal navy at the helm of the dying goal, his pitiful, small, and shabby ship, <laughs> Captain Jack seeks not only to reverse his recent spate of ill fortune, but to save his very life from the most formidable and malicious foe he has never faced. Pretty sure it's a typo, ever faced. <laughs> <laughs> so the Black Pearl is gone? Beer so. Ah, I thought they got it out of the bottle, you know, come end of Stranger Tides. Yeah. That, ah, well... Does this sound like you're new to the Pirates of the Caribbean franchise? Yeah. You just watched them all like two months ago, right? Yeah. Some, I mean, sometime at the end of 2016. Yeah. Um, Feel so, like a worthy sequel? Sure. I It doesn't really do anything for me, honestly. Yeah. The most interesting part to me was uh, that they did not give Henry a last, last name, name. Yes. Uh, which I think just absolutely confirms that he is going to be Elizabeth Swan's son. Mm-hmm. Um Especially considering she was just rumored a couple weeks ago to for Kieran Eiley to be cameoing in the film. Yeah, with um, uh, Orlando Bloom getting you know a larger role too. So. Yeah, so I think that is just absolute confirmation that he's going to basically be the new lead or the co-lead, depending on how much of a role Jack Sparrow has moving forward. Right. I mean, these movies have practically always been about Jack Sparrow, so I'd be I'd be shocked to see him get downplayed or upstaged by somebody <laughs> new to the new to the franchise right but um I, if they're planning on continuing these for affinity you gotta introduce new blood eventually yeah and i'm not familiar with brenton thwaites so i don't know if he's capable of being that lead uh i would assume if that is the case then disney probably mm-hmm. did a very <laughs> uh very hard look to find him so maybe he's the next tom holland and he'll be the breakout of uh of this year but uh, we also got news on Shane Black's The Predator 
getting some more cast members mm. alongside Boyd Holbrook and Olivia Munn. Uh, with the Hollywood Reporter uh, reporting that Moonlight star Trevante Rhodes has joined the cast, as well as comedian Keegan Michael Key. Uh, Key will reportedly, be, reportedly team up with ex Marine Boyd Holbrook and Trevante Rhodes. So, do you like both of these additions well, and the potential character uh, descriptions? I have not seen Trevante Rhodes in anything. Um, Moonlight has not been showing at a theater near me, so I have. Missed that, but Keegan uh, Michael Keel is the most interesting casting. The, the The only part where I haven't seen him in comedy is in his "Don't Think Twice" movie, uh-huh. which is about improv comedy. Right. Uh, so it's very much related, but it's serious. Uh, I'm, I'm kind of, I'm intrigued. Yeah, uh, I I've not seen Moonlight either, so I've no, a uh, previous connection to Trevante Rhodes, but. Mm-hmm. He's getting a lot of awards buzz, so I would assume that he is a very good actor. Sure. Um, and for them to then step in and swoop him up now when he's fresh off of that uh, bodes really well for them. And it looks like he's going to be have a pretty large role in the film. Um, and yeah, Keegan Michael Key, hilarious. Uh, he's like he's like a, he's a big guy too. Like so, I think he could have the physicality to be a former marine or just like a best friend that's hunting down a predator yeah um and then still be like the comedy guy because this movie is shane black so there's definitely going to be comedic elements mm-hmm. and boyd holbrook and as far as i know trevante rose are not necessarily known for their comedy whereas <laughs> keegan michael key that's what he is known for so i think that's a good uh meshing of talents so far for this cast well, I mean, it seems like they're definitely ma- turning this into an ensemble more and more since we lost Benicio. Yeah. Or, uh, they did. So I, I'm i very interested in this. Yes. Because, because wouldn't you think they would make this a more a grittier, you know, predator in terms of like with its rated R status? Yes and no. I think it'll be because, I mean, the nice guys is rated R. Sure. And that's another Shane Black film. So I think it'll be nice guys esque in like it's moments of levity, but then it will mm-hmm. still have like the prototypical predator violence and, you know, R rated action and everything. I think that's where, uh, Shane Black may not necessarily be like the m- most, like the obvious choice, but I think they want to try to do something different than what they've done previously with predators. And, I think this is a good ensemble so far they've uh, assembled to make that happen. Oh, yeah. All right. But moving to Star Wars, it appears Han Solo is going to have a mentor uh, in the case of Alden Ehrenreich with Woody Harrelson, according to Variety, in early talks to play the role for a solo movie. Whoa. What do you think about this, dude? I think this is awesome. Really? Uh, yeah, I don't. I didn't necessarily need Han Solo to have a mentor. Me neither. Um, but if it's gonna be one, I think Woody Harrelson is a great choice. Uh, obviously, he played Haymitch in the Hunger Games. Yeah, yep. Big yeah. fan of him in that. Uh, he was also kind of a mentor in Edge of Seventeen uh, to Haley Steinfeld. Loved him in that, and I I want to see Woody Harrelson uh, with a script written by Chris Lord and Phil Mill, uh, or Chris Lord and Phil Mill, Phil Miller, Chris Lord, 
there's four names there. Yeah, they go together whichever whichever way. ones they are. Phil those Lord guys, and Chris Miller, the Lego directors, yeah. um, with the script by them because they're they're hilarious. They know how to write uh, comedy very well, mm-hmm. and to see him get those chances to have hilarious scripts and lines to deliver and play off of Alden Ehrenreich, uh, I think sounds great. And this is like. This is the extra boost I think this movie kind of needs. Like, not to say Han Solo is definitely not a good known <laughs> yeah. property or anything. He's going to tank if that yeah, would do Harrelson. But the cast is more of an underrated, like, unknown, like, not like an A-list stars. Oh, yeah. They're all um, in their 20s. Yeah. And Woody Harrelson, I think, especially after War for the Planet of the Apes, hopefully, is going to bring a sense of, like, realism and gravitas to the movie where you're like, okay, this is legit because you have one of the best working actors in Woody Harrelson in this movie as well. Yeah. So as the Star Wars fan, what do you think about it? Well, I, I, Han Solo getting a mentor is, like you said, it's, that's a weird thing for me story-wise. But um, I think in one of the books, he has somebody in the Imperial, uh, in the Imperial Academy, you know, show him the way and then... Ultimately, he gets expelled, but and then uh-huh. that's that, that's that. Uh, but I want to see Woody Harrelson play Han Solo's villain um, more than a mentor, uh, because if depending on what Amelia Clark's doing, depending on what Donald Glover's doing, um, I think it would be even cooler to see him go toe to toe with Woody Harrelson in some capacity. And if you're doing a Han Solo origin story, the perfect person for you know him to go toe to toe with. The, with would be Han Solo's evil cousin, Draken <laughs> South Solo, who is like a huge part of this, like the expanded universe that uh-huh. they've been pulling bits and pieces from. Uh, but I I can't complain about Woody Harrelson being a part of the movie. Right. But just just the mentor part that. What if what if it's both? What if it's almost a Guardians of the Galaxy esque Yondu and Star Lord relationship where. Woody Harrelson is the Yondu, and then Han Solo is obviously Star-Lord in this scenario. And they're kind of both... They've had that previous relationship where he yeah. he told, he told taught him the ropes to be a smuggler or whatever, and then they're off to try to find something. And they keep crossing paths, and they're like, oh, we're on the same mission? Okay, well, I've got to get it because I know my mentor, while he taught me the ways, he's not necessarily the best guy. Sure. And he's going to sell whatever it is to somebody completely evil and then the world's gonna get destroyed yeah i mean it, it I, I it's too early to like you know jump all over these people right. for one casting but um i i'm very intrigued i, I i've been excited and mm-hmm. now i'm like okay they're doing so they're doing a very like an origin story or yeah you know it's taking shape and i'm i'm very interested would you be more on board if Christian Bale was in this role instead because the Hollywood Reporter said that he was in the mix previous Ooh. to Woody Harrelson being the front runner. Those are almost two different people. Yeah, that's that's crazy. It wouldn't make me think evil cousin if Christian Bale was being eyed for it. Really? Because I think I would almost see that more. Really? Because I, f- I mean, Christian Bale, I think is cl- would be closer to Alden Ehrenreich's age. Than Woody Harrelson is. I I feel like I don't know their ages off the top of my head, but I feel like Woody Harrelson's. They're both in their fifties and forties, I think. I feel yeah, but I feel like Woody is like at least six or seven years older, mm-hmm. and maybe that's just my perception of them. But um, it's probably because he's bald. Maybe maybe that <laughs> plays a factor in it. But 
I just thought it was super interesting that Christian Bale is even being considered for a Star Wars movie to in begin a, with. Um, which would be incredible. Uh, you know, maybe they're saving him for later. Exactly. That That's what terrific. I was thinking. I mean, I mean, the last couple of weeks, it's reports of Christian Bale's in the mix. Mm-hmm. Michael Fassbender is being considered for episode seven. Uh, I think it just goes to show that Lucasfilm's not going, oh, you know who'd be great? Leonardo DiCaprio. Now, we're never going to get him, so why try? Yeah. They're like, no, we're going to try to get the people. Uh, I think that's a great model for them to follow, and hopefully uh, one day Christian Bale could get involved with Star Wars. Oh, that'd be terrific. Um, but staying with Han Solo, it may be moving uh, back to December, or not back, but to December. Oh, um, yeah, that's right. It's making Star Wars uh, reported that over the Christmas holiday, sources reached out to them to tell them that uh, they have received word that the new release date for the young Han Solo film is December 13th, 2018 and not the previously announced May 25th date. So do you, would you be on board with them delaying it till December or do you, would do you want to see it in May? I think we're going, I'm on board with them putting it, pushing it to December, but I want to see it right. in May. So exactly <laughs> what you said. Um, I think it's going to go to December. There's no, there's no way in terms of marketing and you know, uh, Disney's upcoming slate for 2018 that you would put it in May. Mm-hmm. Uh, it doesn't make any sense. Am, am I crazy to think that? No, or? no. I think that Disney's going to put all their Star Wars films in December. Sure. Uh, until they make the decision, if they ever make the decision to do two films a year, mm-hmm. then they'll introduce May films again. But I mean, just from Disney's perspective, that means if you put it, if you put Han Solo in May 2018, it's coming out six months after Episode Eight, mm-hmm. which there's still going to be all the hype around. You're going to have to put trailers out for Han Solo before Episode Eight comes out yep. to start promoting it. Um, and then even within just Disney Marvel Studios, they have uh, Avengers three coming out three weeks before. Um, and that just that cannibalizes all their profits. Because then Avengers would have three weeks to dominate. And they're going to make most of their money in those three weeks. But then totally. week four come around and their profits just go all the way down. Because then everybody is going to go see Han Solo and whatever other movies are coming out. Yeah, I mean, they've been, they put the original episode seven release date in May. Right. And then they've been pushing them back ever since. Yeah. Uh, so it doesn't surprise me one bit if this turns out to be the case, because I mean, like you said, uh, they have, a, they have basically have a pre-established date where everyone will stay out of their way. Yeah. Come December every year. So, uh, and plus it turned out to be a good bet, you know, putting rogue one off mm-hmm. to December because, um, they needed reshoots, and those extra six months were probably, you oh, know, definitely super valuable oh, yeah. to the the process. Yeah, and if they want to keep that quality up, I mm-hmm. mean, I'm sure Ryan Johnson's sitting there right now thinking, I don't have to do reshoots for another, you know, two and a half months if I need them. Right. So. Yeah, and I mean, even like just outside of Disney's control, I think if there was one X factor that keeps them out, it would be Avatar, um, because oh, right. they've had a close relationship with James Cameron. And I believe Avatar 2 is scheduled to come out in 2018 in December. And I don't think there's a way that both of those films uh, come out within a week or two of each other, let alone the same weekend. That would never happen. Um, So maybe they are hearing word that James Cameron is not going to be able to hit 2018 for Avatar 2, which would not surprise (laughs) me because 
they're going to film the next four movies back to back to back to back and they haven't started filming yet. Mm -hmm. So being able to film four films and edit one in the next two years seems like the most impossible task ever. We never see James Cameron again once he goes into that. Yeah. <laughs> so I think that it'll definitely happen and then uh, Avatar will find a different spot to release because I don't think it – obviously it performed very, very well because it's the highest-grossing film of all time well. <laughs> in December. Yeah. But I think it could do just the same type of numbers if it came out in, like, January or even, like, in the summer season. Um, so that's something I think I'll, I'm going to keep an eye on is what Avatar is doing because I think that would be a big indicator. But, yeah, I'll be pretty surprised if not every Star Wars movie up until they do two films a year doesn't come out in December. I totally agree. And, man, I don't think about Avatar enough these days. We need to make sure we slate a story or two for that going forward. <laughs> I mean, there's, there's, there's not much about it right now. Other than the script is amazing. Yeah, apparently. the script is amazing, and Sigourney Weaver says, yeah, I'm not sure when we're going to start that. So <laughs> I, I have no idea. What? She's dead. She's coming back, I'm pretty oh, sure. Oh, jeez. Wait, yeah, she, no, she didn't die. Yeah. No, well, I mean, her body died, but then, like, they they transferred her, her life form into the tree tree and then transferred it into like her alien body no they couldn't do that yeah they, they tried but they didn't get to you sure positive because they did it to what's his face sam yeah. worthington mm-hmm. but i don't know how that worked out though i'm but pretty sure they did it for her as well i'll need to rewatch that yeah so just carve out three hours of your day tomorrow <laughs> and uh, get to it but uh moving to the dc extended universe Troubles a Bruin for Batman, oh, potentially. Well, I'm um, not surprised. Ben Affleck was asked by The Guardian uh, if he is still going to star in and direct the Batman. And he said, quote, it's not a set thing and there's no script. If it doesn't come together in a way I think is really great, I'm not going to do it. <laughs> what? So um, this is the most alarming piece of news I have ever heard. For the DC Universe Ugh. on so many levels. Um, because for the last six months or so, everything coming out of Batman is, it's great, it's great, it's great, we're on track, we're going to film in the spring, we're casting, uh, we got all this good stuff rolling. Um, and then Ben Affleck, like, oh yeah, we're, we're getting there, the script's coming along, and I'm getting really happy with it. And then he just goes and drops, I don't know. I don't know if I'm going to direct it. Um, what? Like, you don't know if you're going to direct it? How are? How does Warner Brothers not have this, like, figured out by now? He is the one bright spot in the DC universe so far outside of Harley Quinn, uh, yeah. portrayed by Margot Robbie, and mm -hmm. maybe Will Smith is Deadshot. Those are – and Gal Gadot is Wonder Woman. But, like, yeah. those four things are the only redeeming factor so far universally for the DC Extended Universe – and Ben Affleck's Batman is by far the best. So for them to come into 2017 and potentially not have him under contract to direct, not have a script ready to go for a movie that Joe Manganiello and J.K. Simmons have repeatedly said, we start filming in the spring, they're scouting locations for, doesn't make any sense at all. And it makes me terrified for the DC Extended Universe so much um, because... I just don't think they have any idea what they're doing because why on earth would you be potentially not have 
Ben Affleck locked down already. Mm-hmm. What is wrong with that script that it's not ready to go? Because if Ben Affleck's complaining about the script, guess what? He's the screenwriter. He's the script writer. Yep. He's the one. So uh, I don't know what's happening, especially since the former CEO was like, oh, it's coming out in 2018 for sure. No problem. Mm-hmm. Uh, what? Obviously not. I mean, how is that possible? It, this whole thing just blows my mind and I think just absolutely shows that there is no structure in the DC Extended Universe. Jeff Johns is not doing anything so far. I don't care what anybody says. He is He's sitting there. He's tweeting about how he's going to go back and write comics this year, how he's excited for Wonder Woman and all this stuff, but not mentioning how he's working on all these scripts or whatever, supervising these films. Um, if Ben Affleck leaves... And does not direct. I mean, I don't think there's a chance the Batman is made and Ben Affleck's not the star. If it is made and he doesn't direct, I think that is just the absolute worst thing that could happen. Even more so than Ben Affleck leaving entirely, because then it just says this film is not good. Yeah, it's so not good that me, the guy that's going to star in it, I don't want that pressure of having to direct it to write it, because then that puts more pressure on me and more blame on me when the movie does not good. So I'm just going to come in, act, have somebody else come in and direct, and then they can all get all the blame for why it's bad. Um, so yeah, this is absolutely terrifying. And I am so scared about the DC extended universe. Hopefully Wonder Woman could turn around. Hopefully Justice League can prove me wrong. But this is just the worst piece of news. And it came on... The first of January, the f- first day of the new mm-hmm. year, the year 20, 2017 is supposed to be the year the D six nine universe turned itself around. Yep. And now I'm more worried than I've ever been. I I couldn't help but just laugh at this because this is just so um, indicative of the problem that we've we've been talking about. Maybe you know been dancing around, but then finally hit have, have hit. It's. The whole Warner Brothers process is not at all about, you know, making movies, it seems like. it's If Ben Affleck is your writer and director, this movie would be on its way to being made, you know, like right now. Like, it could have been filmed and shot and all that. And it's hard to, it's hard to think that if Ben Affleck passive-aggressively says, uh, yeah, I don't know what's going on. Or, you know, no script yet, but I won't do it if it's not, if it's bad then there's obviously some discord there because if he's writing it, he's, he's going to think it's pretty great. You know, yeah. that means that something's coming down from the top or somebody's coming over and saying, no, it needs this, 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 and this. Uh, uh, well, I mean, you know, who, who wouldn't get upset about that? Mm-hmm. Especially when the man is, you know, kind of coming into his own. Not that he's, you know, he's, he's, he's done this before. He knows what makes a great movie. I mean, I, he has, I haven't seen Live by Night yet, but I'm sure it's on par with the rest of his, his stuff. Um, and like you said, if you can't even get a script and a movie ready for the best, the, the critically, you know, consensus, best part of your film that was awful, what are you doing? Mm-hmm. And, you know, it's just, it's almost like you, time to put your hands up in the air and say, Warner Brothers has been happy with their money and they don't care, you know, how you feel about it. Uh, and that's that's very, you know, pushy, but 
it's hard not to feel that way when all of your directors and artists are just, you know, upset with the process because look at the flash movie. Mm -hmm. It's in flames and, uh, they objectively had, you know, one of the best, all of the best pieces to make a movie with, uh, fucking Famuya. Famuya. Thank you. Uh, Ezra Miller, um, Kiersey Clemens. And so, uh, I am, I'm at a loss for words at this point. So that, that's why I'm just, uh, I'm just laughing at it because, uh, what else can you do? Right. What else can you say about it? I think it's especially interesting. You mentioned live by night and Affleck's track record of Argo, the town, even script writing on goodwill hunting. Mm-hmm. He's got a great track record. Yeah, sure. His he, first movie. Was he has, he had some speed bumps along the way, uh, daredevil, numerous other films, but, most recently, he has become one of the better directors in Hollywood. But Live by Night is coming out in limited release already, and uh, it's not been as well received as his previous films, which makes me wonder if then Warner Bros. is going, ah, you know, maybe he's not as good. Maybe he's not the best director because he had one misstep, mm-hmm. and they're now going... So then after that, you know, lackluster debut of Live by Night, they look at a script and they make all their changes. They make all the changes and they give back to him. They're like, all right, this is the script we want. And he's looking at it and it's like, wait, I don't want to include Robin. I don't want to include Harley Quinn. I don't want to include Joker. I don't sure. want to include yeah. Superman, Cyborg, Flash. I don't, I don't want to include, I want Batman versus Deathstroke. And that's it. That's my movie. That's the one I pitched. That's the one I want. And they're like, nope, we want Anna Kendrick as, as Robin. We want, because the internet really loved that. So let's let's make that happen. They they loved Harley Quinn in Suicide Squad. Let's get her in. Let's get Viola Davis back as Amanda Waller. Mm-hmm. Let's just turn this into Justice League versus Suicide Squad because that's going to get people excited. When they see that trailer and all these people are fighting, that's what's going to sell tickets. Not having from the director of Argo. Yeah. And that's not the way this should be going. And you mentioned The Flash. The Flash and Batman were the two movies that I was most pumped to see from mm-hmm. the DC slate. And now Flash hasn't had a director in months. Uh, there's been absolutely no word about a director. Ezra Miller, this thing was supposed to start filming at the end of 2016 yeah. or right now. This That's not happening, obviously. Um I think there's a very real possibility that 2018 has one DC movie come out and that's just Aquaman. And that would not be a good look from them. Even if Aquaman's great, even if Wonder Woman's great, even if Justice League's great. Because other than those three, there's been no word on any other property besides Bad Word. Um, I just don't, I don't understand what they're doing to drive people away seemingly at every possibility. They drove Famuya away because they didn't want, they had creative differences over his vision and Mm -hmm. interpretation of the world. Now they're maybe driving Affleck away from the director's chair because of countless reasons. I have no idea, but I'm sure there's plenty out there. Um, And it's just sad. It's so, so sad because 
I want the DC Extended Universe to be just... I want to like the DC Extended Universe just oh. as much as I do the Marvel Cinematic totally. Universe. But every single week, it seems like they give me another reason not to trust them. Mm-hmm. Um, and it makes me even more worried for Wonder Woman and Justice League, even though we've heard basically only good things about them. Yeah, There's been good press. There's been good trailers. Um, there haven't been any reports about, ooh, I don't know about this, except for before Justice League started filming. They're like, I don't know if Zack, we don't know if Zack Snyder's going to direct it. And you're like, oh, wait, what? Right, yeah. <laughs> uh, and once, okay. Once that was cleared up, you know, yeah. it's been all... It's all been all smooth sailing except for the properties that, you know, haven't been, uh, you know, activated or yeah. you know, so forth. And uh, it's 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 like it's a harsh contrast between this and, you know, the other superhero I mean, movies with, um, you know, Fantastic Four and, you know, Josh Whedon getting kind of just weighed down with the, the universe mm-hmm. by the end of Age of Ultron, which were all, you know, which pale in comparison to the the discord that just you know feels brewing over there mm-hmm. and it's hard not to get cynical that they just want to pack things in and then uh, you know pack things into a 300 million dollar budget so they can you know turn around 600 billion yeah. or you know a billion you know worldwide whatever the case may yeah, be i i have a very real feeling that warner brothers doesn't care if their movies get 28 percent on rotten tomatoes if people hate their movies but they like one good thing as oh. long as as long as it makes seven hundred, eight hundred million worldwide, they don't care. You know what? I failed to mention something at the top of the podcast. I saw the Hobbit trilogy with the family. Oh yeah, on New Year's Day, we turned on the first two throughout the day, and then by uh, the Battle of the Five Armies, we sat down and kind of you know watched it. And they're all decent movies up until you get to the third act, when it feels like they packed in all of these things that ruin the story mm-hmm. or, you know, make you overwhelmed by it. And then you're just like, oh, what did I just end up seeing? Right. And my feelings on Suicide Squad and Batman versus Superman were very similar to that. They made a ton of money on The Hobbit and Suicide Squad and Batman. But uh, it, it's, it's very hard to say that they were excellent movies, you know, done by people that, you know, care about the material a lot. Right. So let's throw a scenario out there. One that would be absolutely terrible. But let's say tomorrow an announcement comes out that Affleck's not directing the Batman. Which would not a, be shocking. Do you think that he would still star in the film? Yeah? Yeah, I do think he would. I think it's hard for him I think it's hard for him as a a human being to turn down what I imagine is like a twenty million dollar paycheck for right. the role. The thing about that is he definitely did not enjoy the way BVS was received critically. If Justice League has a similar response, he would once again potentially be the bright spot in a bad movie. And then in Batman, he would have stepped out of the director's chair just to star in a movie that potentially, as of right now, I have no faith would be good. That would be three roles Three, three appearances, not, not including Suicide Squad, as Batman, all of which were potentially, I mean, because we don't know how they're going to be received in the future, but right. potentially not received well by critics or fans. And I think if Affleck does not direct, I think that means he walks entirely because otherwise I think that's just a bad look for Warner Brothers for them to 
the guy that was going to direct the film and star in it and write the film to go, yeah, uh, I don't have the confidence in this universe or this film to direct and write it myself, so I'm just going to star. Mm-hmm. And if that's the case, if Affleck leaves, I don't want to see them just recast Batman. As much as I've liked portions of their casting, I just want a clean slate. Take three years off. Wait till 2020. Develop an actual great concept of a universe. Get good filmmakers. Get a great cast. Build it out. But if you lose Affleck, I think you strip it clean. You start all over. That You know, see, that would be the thing they need to do. But it would be hard. I would think it would be hard for the average, you know, moviegoer to, you know, look up and say, wasn't Ben, oh, now it's, oh, they're just going to pop these things out every so often and then that's it. Yeah, I think so. But, it, I mean, Dark Knight Rises came out in 2012. Yep, 2012. And I'm assuming it came out in 2016. Mm-hmm. Originally supposed to come out in 2015. Um, so that's four years apart from seeing Bale as Batman to seeing Affleck as Batman. Sure. If we wait till 2020 to see a new Batman or 2021, then we have another three or four years in between. I think it's enough time of if there's no other DC movies, if Justice League is the last one or if Aquaman is the last one to get people clean. Maybe they do some, maybe they do start over with Flash. They do Flashpoint Paradox or something, mm-hmm. mess up the timeline so they can bring <laughs> Momoa back and they can bring Gal Gadot back. Yeah. Uh, I mean, that would be a way to go, but I don't want to see them just straight up recast Batman and act like nothing happened because that would just be so weird and that would that would just absolutely lessen my interest in the movies overall because it's like you, I don't think you can recast a character that big and still maintain the idea that this is all one connected universe. Maintain continuity. Yes. Yeah. I mean, I, I, I definitely agree with that if things start going south, they need to stop and then restart later. But the, the costs of that, I, I feel, are going to be you know, weighed very heavily against uh, just moving forward with you know, and being happy with what they're making now. Yeah. And I, I mean, I really hope that's not the case. I hope they just decide, you know, to make a good series of films. Like you said, um, work in tandem with your talent. Uh, don't get caught up on the, you know, what's testing and what's not testing. Well, mm-hmm. I mean, you know, I read a piece from some rogue one editors this week and they said that from Yahoo UK and they talked about how they didn't test the movie at all, but they just went with their gut and they made something they liked at the end of the day. Uh, do that yeah so uh, it's it's very it's hard not to get cynical at that when you look at it and, and see wow i mean all they really care about is you know profit mm-hmm. and not taking care of something that's meant a lot to people over a hundred years now almost a hundred years yeah so yeah. uh it's really sad but i mean but yeah yeah i i think it goes back to just figuring out a plan and sticking to it, having somebody, whether it's Jeff Johns, whether it's even Zack Snyder, just somebody like Kevin Feige who has one vision and they're allowed to follow that regardless of what higher-ups say. It's up to them. The higher-ups can give their opinion, but they're not 
mandated to follow it. Um, and on the flip side, this could all just be off. Like maybe he saw the reviews for live by night and he's like, Oh shoot. I know how the, all the pre-production process and the post-production process went on BVS. I have a feeling that Warner Brothers is going to come in and try to mess with my movie. So maybe this is him just going, try and make a public statement, you know, puff out his chest and say, if I don't like it, I'm not doing it. So that way Warner Brothers goes, wait, wait, what? Uh, you're not, you're not going to do this. Okay. Uh, we will, yeah. we will let you be. I'm hoping that's the case. I have no faith that that is. Yeah. Um, hope. I mean, yeah, no, that's a really good place because I mean, it was, it was either Ben Affleck being upset or Ben Affleck, you know, like you said, puffing out his chest and saying, Hey, this is going to be good or I'm not going to be in it. Yeah. So well, ultimately when I'm in it, you know, it's good. Yeah. And it's a real, yeah, like you said, like a, a knee, not, not a knee jerk reaction, mm-hmm. but a, a reflex off of it by yeah. night. So hopefully Ben Affleck will do it. I think if he doesn't, I have, I'd be absolutely not excited for this movie. And if the DC extended universe continues, or if it gets a complete reboot, they may have a talented director who would be interested in, uh, stepping aboard and helping maybe steer the ship, correct the course, whatever it may be, uh, with a monster calls, which we'll be reviewing it just in a minute. And Jurassic world Two director J a Bayona, uh, expressing interest yeah. this week on an AMA, uh, on Reddit that he would uh, be interested in directing a Superman movie. Um, and after seeing a monster calls, uh, which is super emotional, I'm very much looking forward to his, what I'll do with a big budget movie with Jurassic world two. If it hits, which it most likely will because Jurassic world made like $1.5 billion or whatever. Yeah. Um, I think DC would be foolish not to call up Bayona and say, Hey, we have Man of Steel 2 in the works. We want it to come out in 2019. Do you want to direct it? And, and I'm pretty sure after this statement he'd go, "Sure." Yeah. I think that's that'd be their that'd be the best move. I would be absolutely excited for this. Um and I think he'd be able to deliver a personal story for Superman uh that could be unlike anything we've ever seen before. Did you read his quote? Statement? I've read it, but I did not. Re- oh yeah. Read I mean, it. like he says, like talks about how Superman was the first movie he ever saw in his life mm-hmm. at like three years old. Yep. And, uh, it's the movie that this is the, for the original with mm-hmm. starring Christopher Reeves. And that's the, he goes on to say, that's the film that made him want to be a director. And I've, over the podcast, anytime someone's, you know, shared how a franchise or a property has like, you know, affected them or, uh, how much they've loved it. It's hard to say you wouldn't want to see exactly. them get a hold of it. And someone like Bayona, who, like you just said, we'll talk about his latest movie in a minute, um, could really infuse Man of Steel with what it lacked mm-hmm. the first time around. And that, I mean, uh, heart, gravity, stakes that felt real and tangible to somebody. Um, so if if that were to happen after he comes off of Jurassic world, I would, it would renew my faith mm-hmm. in what I, I mean, what, what I just described as, you know, almost hopeless. Yeah. So I, I, I think this is a great idea. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. I think, yeah, there's, there's no reason not to be excited. Obviously, like, like you said, when anybody who I'm a fan of expresses interest in another property, I'm, I'm on board for that. Um, and I mean, we've seen like with star Wars, 
like J.J. Abrams, Gareth Edwards, yeah, Ryan Johnsons. Fans. They're huge fans. And so far, that has turned out with great movies. Um, and like even like Joss Whedon, huge comic book guy, turned in the Avengers, absolutely killed it. Um, I mean, sure, there's cases where that has not always worked. Duncan Jones is a huge fan of Warcraft. And that movie did not hit as well as it could have. Uh, he teased some really interesting sequel ideas this week. Uh, which were just like you tell you can tell he is just like so passionate about the universe yeah. that I still would want to see a sequel to that movie. But anyways, um yeah, like if Bayona is on board for this, Warner Brothers should be calling him up right now and saying, Listen, I know you got a busy schedule, I know you got Jurassic Park two coming out or Jurassic World two. You don't have anything else I don't believe after that already. Why don't why don't you come on board with us? Get, do Man of Steel 2, do Justice League 2 if you want. I don't care. Yeah. Um, just make a movie that's going to come out in 2019, 2020. Um, I think that would be a great move for them, and I would totally be on board yeah, to or, see Bayona. And just, or maybe even let the guy in the let the guy in the EP chair, or, right? You know, or just, uh, let him come aboard because he's going to be sought after, you know, um, for years to come, decades to come. Uh, uh, don't be surprised, you know, if he's helming something for Disney or, you know, Pixar eventually. Because, I mean, I would I would not be surprised. Pixar Pixar's a cool idea. I'm not sure how many of their directors go from live action to animation. I feel like most of them are, like, animators mm-hmm. that rise up to direct their yep. movies. Um, but that would definitely be a big get I, for them. I would, I would not be – it wouldn't be, it wouldn't be mind-blowing to know that he consulted on a film or something like yeah, that. Yeah, definitely. I, yeah, so uh, – Without further ado, can we yes. dive into this? I would Go for f- it. Okay, well, uh, so A Monster Calls, When a Monster Calls, uh, is about um, a boy whose mom, Felicity Jones, is, you know, passing away of cancer. And that is a brutal subject matter. And I thought that throughout this, I would get, you know, some uplifting moments and things like that. And they came, but... The entire movie is cold, it's brutal, and it challenged my expectations of, you know, what I should expect from movies going forward. <laughs> uh, it, uh, every, every aspect that, um, oh gosh, what's Luke, Lucas McDowell's character's name? Uh, Connor. Connor. Every, everything that he, Connor has to deal with. Uh, in his life, his his dad who left him, his mom's passing, his grandma played by Sigourney Weaver, who is uh, she wasn't as awful as the trailers made her to be, but in in his mind, she's you know like you know the worst, mm-hmm. and uh, and then the bullying, uh, all all these things that he goes up against um, and tries to overcome with the help of the incredible monster um voiced by liam neeson is uh which is we'll talk about how incredible that thing is in a minute but um i was mind blown like it it connected on such a personal level like that i i thought i was gonna watch a kid's movie that was a little bit darker Mm -hmm. and i found myself in the middle of an adult movie you know with a kid you know portraying um all that i saw you know and even when there were these moments of like hope and things like that in this film, uh, 
they were always tamped down with some with some reality to them and thinking oh no no happy ending but you know keep trying or you know there's there's the lesson there and uh i was i was so impressed with that and by the end of the movie it was like an anvil had crushed my soul <laughs> i i was i was in awe uh and so you know um on our scale of ticket stubs i can I can say this uh, in the new year with my first rating. Um, this is an absolute five of five, okay. um, with no hesitation. So at all. one of your favorites of 2016. One of my favorites of 2016. All right. Well, it'll be coming back around. Yeah, uh, yeah. I'll, I agree with a lot of what you said. Um, like you see the trailers and you're just like, okay, it's a story about cancer, the kid. I've seen that a million times before. Um, but I don't know for some reason this one just like it just hits you. Uh, it's way more emotional than I think a lot of other movies. Um, and I don't know. I don't know if it's because like I saw the uh, trailer for uh, a dog's purpose before. And that one just made me like, Oh, oh. this is so sad. And like, yeah. uh, just brought, brought, brought back memories of like when I had to put like one of our dogs down. Um, and then that was just kind of in my mind throughout the whole movie. Um, I've had a grandma who's died of cancer. I wasn't yeah, like exactly. at mm-hmm. like the bedside when it happened but you definitely still like you you think about that and i think that's just the thing that this thing did so masterfully is just show like this the real portrayal of the death process and coming to like accept it um and that's like that's the big thing for uh connor throughout and lewis mcdowell man like i'm pretty sure this is his first like performance and like just nailed it like absolutely killed it um and yeah felicity jones sigourney weaver toby kevel all great yeah all so good uh in like they they play so different characters felicity jones is is the the hope in a sense for connor yeah um sigourney weaver is the kind of keeps him down to earth and then toby kevel's like as his dad almost plays like like his dreams in a sense of, yeah, I wish I had this perfect life. I wish you and mom were still together. I wish you would have been here when I was growing up. And then that, that struggle between father and son that, Oh, Oh, you're just here because mom's on her deathbed. And, Oh, you d- you don't have room for me in LA, but you have room for your new wife and your, your new daughter, but not me. Yeah. Uh, it's just, it's super, super emotional. Uh, and impactful um and just like visually i loved the way that he that bayona wove in the three stories from the monster yeah um and taking the animated approach to it uh they were they were so different in just an animated style with using like watercolors and just like it, it looked just so different and it was so easy to tell obviously when you're in a story and when you're not um sticking with the monster Liam Neeson obviously has a great voice for it I was surprised how early it came in um I thought it would have like I thought they would have waited a little longer before bringing him right, out presenting for it, um yeah. and like that he just kind of came almost on his own in a, in a way um and I'll I'll get a little bit more into the monster in spoilers because it's hard to talk about him uh, in some cases, but sure. Um, especially with like the ending, I'm not sure if I'm totally on 
bored with the way the, like the last scene it has. Um, yeah. But uh, yeah, the thing that it just resonates about death and your wants and your needs versus what you don't want. <laughs> um, and yeah, I think it's it's a near it's a near five. It's almost there, but I'm gonna give it four and a half to get stubs out of five. Definitely still one of my favorites of 2016. Yeah. So you wanna you wanna tackle uh, Liam Neeson's monster? You wanna go yeah. to the ending? Um, but I do agree with you. I mean, the the beginning of the movie too starts with like you know almost not no chill, but like you know like it starts wrenching at your heart and you know seeing him in that nightmare and mm-hmm. it's just like. Oh, I thought at least we'd have some kind of setup about how happy he's been, and right. it's just like no, this yeah. is this is the this is the reality. You we'll see him as like a I don't know twelve, thirteen year old kid mm-hmm. playing dad for his dying mom in a sense, um, and yeah, uh, the the ending is the thing I want to touch on the most because so we're in spoiler territory for Monster Calls. If you've yep. not seen it, skip ahead a couple of minutes for our review of La La Land, or just pause go see a monster calls in your local theater, then come back and finish it out. But I don't know if I like the, or maybe I just didn't, I don't know which way he was trying to go with the reveal that Felicity Jones could also see the monster or had seen the monster before. And I, I took it as it was helping. It helped her through the death of her father. Um, which was Liam Neeson, which I I love that. I love that parallel. Um, but then, yeah, I just need to know more of what exactly that reveal is that, okay, so the monster helped her and now it helped Connor yeah. because if it's just like, oh, this thing just like randomly comes. But then I was thinking about it and I was like, what if the monster is his imagination helping him cope with the upcoming approaching death of his mom? Because in like the home videos and stuff, she mentions the monster and they're drawing the monster. And then she obviously has a book detailing the same stories um, that the monster told Connor, which made me then think maybe Felicity Jones had told those stories to Lewis McDowell's character as a child. And then his memory was helping him deal with his emotions by telling him stories through the perspective, telling him stories that his mom had already told him through the perspective yeah. of a character that his mom kind of introduced him to. Yeah. And that, and I, I took it two ways at the same time, but like that, that second one was my initial reaction was um, he's his, his memories. He's, he's almost, he's going through the five stages of grief uh, and these stories. And while, while he's trying to hold on to his mom for as long as possible, He's, he's, you know, coming upon every memory and those stories, you know, feel so relevant to the moment. And that's why they're, you know, coming alive now. Um, but then also I thought maybe the monster's helping her along too, Mm -hmm. uh, with her, not, not with just the passing of her father, but herself, like, Mm -hmm. you know, she's seemingly okay with it. The, her biggest, you know, is her biggest issue is, uh, not issue, uh, but, um, Losing Lucas or leaving Lucas is uh, Lucas Connor. Yeah, uh, leaving Connor is more of a big deal for her. So um, that monster is there for her as well to get her to the other side. I mean, to, you know, before she dies. But um, that's really those were those are the two ways that I took that. 
Um, yeah, like I, I definitely did not dislike the end. I was just like, yeah, okay, that's interesting. I didn't, I didn't expect it to leave me with a, like a, with a twist. Yeah, I thought it would be very clear. Yeah, but it wasn't. that that's what kind of threw me. Um, but since we are in spoilers, I can talk a little more in depth about the the overarching narrative of the story of the movie. And that's just being okay with death, mm-hmm. even though you know it's gonna suck. Um, and that's the big thing for Con- for uh, Connor is his nightmare is holding on to his mom's hand as she dies and him letting her go because he just wants it to be over. He doesn't want the pain anymore for her. He doesn't want the the worry or the angst of when's this going to happen for him. And I think that's just that's just kind of a thing that you don't see a lot in movies is somebody accepting the fact that all right this person's going to die i don't want i don't want to yeah. lose them but they're in pain and i want that pain to be over for them even though if, even though it's going to hurt for me even more um and then yeah just see him embrace that take his mom's uh, hand with two hands uh as she passes away i think was just was a really touching ending uh to the story and just absolutely was like the final nail and just like a perfectly crafted story overall. Absolutely. And that's like, and, and you know, like I'm not, not going to like pretend I don't think about dying like right. a ton. Cause I do like anytime I get in my car, I'm like, all right, watch for semis. <laughs> don't let this be it. And, uh, it was, um, knowing somebody that's like, you know, like, like I've met somebody that's, you know, lost his dad and, the weird thing is, like, the first thing, one of the first things they say is, you know, I'm finally just glad it's over. Mm-hmm. And it's just like, what? I mean, like, yeah. I've never had that. So, I mean, but that's their initial reaction, and, or at least his, in this case. But uh, uh, I was, you know, taken aback by that. But then that sentiment was really brought to life here, and it was just like, you know, uh, they're clearly, you know, in pain, and they're... Uh, it's not well for them and but eventually you have to like you know like you said like 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 he does let go and mm-hmm. you know look you know, look look ahead and um it was uh, as a movie that i thought was for kids like or you right. know like i thought this would be you know something totally different and then to see all of that come out was um was mind blowing uh, and yeah, just absolutely awesome. Yeah, I like there was like one or two kids in my theater. I was like, this is it's a hard movie for a kid. Like, mm-hmm. they, maybe they don't understand it completely, but I was just like, maybe this was just mismarketed <laughs> in a sense because like the trailer is definitely not as down like no. in its tone as the movie is it's, it's it's way more imaginative and hopeful yeah. even though you can obviously tell mm-hmm. that felicity jones is uh you know dying right with cancer um but th- the drop off from marketing to movie is the steepest i've ever seen right um and not not in a bad way mm-hmm. i was was uh in, in the best way possible yeah um uh Something that uh, can the bullies when mm-hmm. that when that came up were you taken aback by that at all? Um, because a little. Uh, there was the, I I had a couple of mixed emotions about it 
because I thought it was just weird that the school or just, I don't know, that kid in general would be bullying a guy whose mom's dealing with cancer mm-hmm. and they obviously know about it. Cause like after every time they beat him, I was like, hope your mom gets better. And you're just like, what is wrong with this kid? Um, yeah. But then there's also just like this weird fixation between the two of them. Yeah. Which I was just was like, almost like, it was, I'm going to say sexual. Or yeah. Like that, that, I mean, that, that's, that's, that, that's, that's the what, sense I had too. Yeah. I was like, this is weird. Uh, I mean, you never really see what happens outside mm-hmm. of like a punch or two, but it is. Yeah. It was, it was very, very weird. It was, it was unnerving. I mean, I, I'm out of, I don't think I've ever really, you know, really been bullied before, but that it was unnerving. Yeah. Almost like, you know, when I picked up on that, I was just like, Oh, that's, that's very not disturbing, but just, you know, I mean, it makes yeah, you, I mean, it would, it is disturbing. It, make, it makes you angry. I mean, it makes me angry that, you know, that sentiment has probably been ever felt and then put into this movie. And mm-hmm. uh, that was, that was definitely like, that was one part of where I was just like, I cannot believe yeah. this is the movie I'm watching right now. Right. Uh, in the, in the best way possible. Right. Um, but yeah, a couple of kids were in there. So right, yeah. that's a very, that's, that's a why very adult I think theme. it, I think it maybe implies it a little bit that there's something more than just, you know, typical bully name calling and yeah. punching and stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, but I, I think that's why they don't ever explicitly show anything that else that happens because sure. I maybe Bayona wants to leave it up to the imagination of the, they're not the imagination, but just like the thought of the viewer to go, is there something more here? Mm-hmm. Um, and I, I mean, I would, I, th- I think there is, yeah. that was my initial impression this is based off of a book. And I'm, I'm I've never been more, uh, more fixated to get a copy of this. Yeah. Uh, do you have any other thoughts on a monster calls? Um, no, I, I think, I think that's really about it. Uh, yeah, I think I'm, I'm all set. Okay. Well, let's move to La La Land then. Yeah. A little, uh, movie much- that's a little bit happier <laughs> depending on, uh, how you perceive it. Um, but like I mentioned at the top of the show, I watched whiplash again, uh, which is, Damien Chazelle's other film and now with Autoland he's one of my favorites working uh absolutely nailed it um Emma Stone as uh, Maya and then Ryan Gosling as Sebastian uh some of the most real life like characters uh in recent memory because it felt almost like Chazelle was just videotaping Emma Stone and Ryan Gosling in their normal everyday lives where they just break in a song and dance every now and then. <laughs> yeah. um, because like you just, you just felt for them. They felt like their normal selves. Mm-hmm. Um, and obviously, I mean, their performances are top notch. Uh, their chemistry is, I think their third film together. Um, yep. And their chemistry shows that it carries over from previous uh, movies. But, I mean, a lot of my praise is going to, to the way uh, Chazelle just crafted this movie. The, the color scheme uh, is just, it's so bright. It's vibrant. Uh, it It's not like your typical movie. Because, I mean, even like typical clothing. Because most clothes have multiple colors. And throughout pretty much the entire film, every single person has just one distinct color on mm-hmm. They change colors now and then, but it's just like whenever they do, you are wearing all yellow. You're wearing all red. You're wearing all blue. Um, 
and it just it just makes it makes each person pop individually in a very very unique way uh which i think definitely helps in like the larger song and dance numbers where it's like there's so much happening it's super colorful um and the song and dance numbers themselves like they're just interwoven so naturally it feels it doesn't feel like a musical in a traditional sense where it's just like oh i've got a song coming on yeah and then they just burst (laughs) off and just like no it's just like it just happens and it feels like that would happen uh and I've never experienced that in my regular life where sure. people outside of like my sisters just like randomly burst into song to express their emotions. But it felt like in this world that Chazelle set up that that's how it happened. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it starts right at the beginning with that incredible highway scene where Chazelle's camera movement and just planning just comes out and just steals the show because he's sweeping through people. It's just, it seems like it's one continuous shot for most so of it. Elaborate. Um, and that's how it is for almost all of the song and dance numbers where it's just, it's, it's one take, especially the one of Maya and Sebastian overlooking LA on the, on the edge of the cliff with the light post. Uh, so incredible. Uh, and that just shows just how talented Emma Stone and Ryan Gosling are to not only sing, um, which you can tell in parts when they're actually singing and when it's, a soundtrack playing over but i don't really care um but because then they're they're singing but then they're also dancing and they're tapping and it, it's, it's it's really incredible um and like i said with fences chazelle uses those long takes mm-hmm. but he uses them in a incredible way where he's he's weaving through places he's following characters um following their movements uh helping them bring in more characters look at a different perspective and it just keeps you like oh where's where's he going next what's happening next and it just keeps you engaged all the time because you don't really know what's happening because it's not just a still camera shot over the shoulder for dialogue uh, that's just typical in all movies it's something that you don't see a lot of and i wish we did yeah. <laughs> because I, I really liked the way he shot the movie and I'll, it'll be a crime if he does not get nominated for best director because it's still a crime he didn't get nominated for whiplash yeah, um no kidding and i think it'll be even it'll be i'll be really surprised if he does not win best director at the oscars or gold globes or any awards show for la la land because it because he did that good of a job with it mm-hmm. um and on the story point kind of opposite of a monster calls this one's a little more uplifting of just if you've got a dream you got to follow it no matter what it costs it might cost you personal relationships it might cost you money uh it might cost you like it might make you do things and like take career choices that you're not necessarily completely on board with right but it'll help you get to that place mm-hmm. um and that was just something for me i don't know why but it just really like hit home just like you just gotta you gotta do you and everything will work out if you work hard enough um and i just really liked that story for both of them for both Maya and Sebastian to ultimately achieve their goals. Um, if there is one flaw similar to a monster calls the ending or near the ending, I wasn't totally, he threw something in that I don't think needed to be. Okay. Um, oh, it yeah. felt, it just felt added and like, mm-hmm. I don't need that because it, it was already obvious. The what if? Yeah. Yeah. I was just like, obviously the what if would have happened if, mm-hmm the circumstances in the what if happened in real life. Yeah. And, it was very, yeah, absolutely. It, but, 
at the same time, I still loved the way he shot that, and it took you through the entire events of the film and their alternate life and everything. Um, but it's just absolute joy. I think there's a couple parts maybe where it slows down a little bit, um, but that's just like such a minor point because when it when it picks up, when it's engaging, it's at the top of its game. Um, it's definitely tough to choose between what's my favorite between Chazelle, between Whiplash and La La Land. Yeah. I might give it to Whiplash just, just a tad. Miles because, Teller and JK. Because I like the ending to Whiplash is so perfect that That's you right. just leave and you're just like, oh, so good. Mm-hmm. Um, which is not any indictment on La La Land because I still think the ending is great. Uh, and it, it yeah. capitalizes on the rest of the movie. Yeah. So I'm going to give it four and a half ticket stubs out of five. Mm-hmm. But it's just a, just a tad better than a Monster Calls. Oh, okay, personally. awesome. No, I, I totally get that. I mean, it's, it's, it's remarkable to think... Um, this was what Chazelle wanted his first movie yeah. to be, but no one would buy it. So he did whiplash and then <laughs> La La Land came uh, right after it, but it's, it's super nostalgic. Um, you met, you talked about uh, all the, el- the elements that it brings out. Um, the swooping one takes all the, the, the elaborate, and I mean elaborate oh, yeah. dance numbers and uh, all that, you know, was a part of that. Uh, and then we get to, and that's how the movie starts. And then we get to Gosling and Emma Stone. Um, and it's just the camera, them dancing. Yeah. Uh, and, and that was, it was so delightful to, you know, it was, it was so throwback. Um, the family watches, uh, white Christmas over, you know, you know, in the holiday season. And, and it's back when they would just, put dancers on stage and then they would go through their number with all in one thing. And that it was so, you know, it was, it all felt like that. And I thought that was like, you know, really great, especially because these are actually people I like and everything <laughs> like that this time around. Um, uh, the, like you, I think you mentioned, you mentioned like the color palettes, everyone is, you know, it's, it's bright, it's poppy. Uh, it looks like, you know, it looks like what I think LA is. Right. But it's actually not. <laughs> right. Of course. Um, he uses a lot of, he uses a really great, uh, maybe this is just me, but I love neon. And anytime he throws a blue or a red or a green onto a character or into a scene, uh, I love that. Um, it almost was untraditional LA too. We didn't ever, we never get, we didn't get to see anything that was, uh, you know, like downtown Los mm-hmm. Angeles. There wasn't the Staples Center. There wasn't anything that was right. iconic. We just saw the back lot of the Warner Brothers studio and then all these other places that felt like L.A. But it's like, oh, we're getting to kind of explore where they are in the city. And I, I really like that. Um, I can't say enough good things about Gosling and uh, Stone. It's it's definitely Emma Stone's movie and Ryan Gosling's just in it uh, because she, I think she's as good as he is. She's really the... She's really the central part of the movie. Um, I think she has the most. Uh, she's the most emotion. Uh, yeah, she's the most emotionally developed, uh, and I loved that. Um, and man, uh, I. What else is there to say? Uh, <laughs> it's all. It's all right there. the 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 love story between those two is simple enough. And fun enough, um, especially when we finally get to like the spring season or the spring summer 
when we get to summer yeah. and their relationship kicks off uh, after their hilariously rocky start and mm-hmm. the, uh, on, on the freeway. <laughs> um, so that's that's terrific watching them bounce around downtown LA. Uh, so that that was delightful. Um, all of the music was terrific, uh, you know, song wise, and especially the number the the theme or the number that Gosling keeps yeah. bringing back up on the piano. Um, I don't know if there's a soundtrack for this. Is there? I, I don't there know, but it's, be. it's been in my head all day. Uh, yeah, I know. I'm gonna have to take a look at that. Uh, and so you know, all in all, before we kind of dive into the the spoiler, which you may not have liked mm-hmm. the most. I loved it. Okay. I thought it was, I thought it was awesome because it was like the culmination of everything um, in the way that, yeah, I, I think, so we'll talk about that. Um, and then the, the breakup and everything that subsequent from that, uh, like you mentioned, like what it'll cost you. And like, that was very, that came at a very interesting time and I, I don't know if that really hit me or not, but um, I thought it was okay. So uh, all in all, I'm going to go right there with you though, with four and a half tickets. Okay. Yeah. So definitely one of the podcast favorite movies of 2016. Let's dive into spoilers. Um, and yeah, the ending, I think it is like the, what if, because I felt like Chazelle did such a great job of, writing these characters and building up their relationship it seemed obvious to me that if they didn't have that big fight about do you even like the music you're in like why do you even like john legend's band this music sucks um like this is not the the plan that you had set out to be you wanted to do your own thing now you want to be in this band you don't even like for mm-hmm. two or three years um and i, I definitely agree that's emma stone's movie because you follow her throughout a lot of it. you don't really see gossing on the road at all yeah um but anyways I think that because of the way it's written, the way their story progresses, that if they don't have that fight, it was it was kind of obvious to me that and even after the fight, they kind of reunite. But they're like, oh, we, what are we? We don't really know. Right. Um, I'll always love you. I'll always love you too. I feel like at that point, there's like, okay, obviously if some if that one event had happened differently, they make it all the way. And... So that's why I didn't need the what if because it was like it was that moment of realization for both of them that of what could have been and understand why he maybe would want to show that to just make it clear that they're both thinking we would have been great together if things had turned out differently. Sure. But I felt like for me at least that was already so clear that that was what would have happened that I didn't need to take those two or three minutes to just actually show us what their life would have been like together instead of apart. Yeah. I I think the, I think the breakup, like you, you think you said we saw it coming. I mean, we have to, things are going too well for for everybody. So there needs to be, you know, a mixing of this. And then the, and then the finding, uh, finding common ground, finding closure with them, uh, you know, back at the top of, um, the overlooking LA, you mm-hmm. know, we're like, yeah, this, how about this view? It's the worst. Yeah. yeah. It's not that great. I've seen better. Like I love that. That's a great line by the way. Um, and then, and then getting to the, what if I thought that part could have been scrapped and then have her wander into the, her and her husband wander into the jazz club five years later mm-hmm. and then have the, what if instead of that closure where, um, 
on top of the outside of LA. Okay, so you wanted to see the what if just earlier. I, I would no, I wouldn't. I don't want to see it earlier. I want to see them saying, "What are we? We oh, we love each other, but we need to go do our own things." Uh-huh. I would like to have seen that scrapped. Oh, okay, okay. And then, and then. Okay, uh, I could see that because then it, then, it, the what then if. It, yeah, because then it's not as repetitive as going. We would have been great together. We would have made it. Mm-hmm. And yeah, okay, I, I see that. Yeah, but and but the what if, uh, as a whole, like that scene's fine. The what if is even better uh just her wandering into the jazz club because she doesn't like jazz and (laughs) i don't know why i thought that was so funny like from the very minute she says she hates it but uh you know ultimately she uh her husband and her wander into his finally set up uh club sebs yeah um with a little musical note uh and then he starts to play the song that he's always been playing throughout the most of their time together and then that launches her into the uh what if where they don't have a rocky beginning they they get together right there that way they've spent every possible moment through everything he shoes john legend who mm-hmm. well, i thought was great in the movie by yeah. the way uh and then you know every twist and turn where things go wrong they actually go right for him and uh leading to them having kids going out together and then eventually leading up to the jazz club where they're at on then when she snaps back to it she's with the other guy and uh she walks out and says bye mm-hmm. or well just looks at him and says bye. yeah but uh I, I i like that ending i thought that was great um especially the especially the this the dance number that was in between the the home videos mm-hmm. where you see their life starting together and the how our relationship could have gone. Yeah. Um, so I thought I thought that was terrific. Yeah, I'll say the best part about the flashback or the what if definitely was J.K. Simmons because <laughs> oh, yeah. he just he does the stern look and they start snapping away. And you're <laughs> yes. like, oh, I love J.K. Simmons. Yeah. Oh yeah. And like I mean I made this joke before we started because I couldn't wait to say it, but J.K. Simmons doesn't like jazz in this movie. Yeah. <laughs> what is? I thought that was that obviously was, him and Miles Teller had a very bad breakup at yeah. the end of Whiplash <laughs> that we just did not get to see. I just thought that was. I thought that was the best too. Yeah. Yeah. I was thinking last night after watching Whiplash and La La Land, I was like, you know, he just needs like, he needs to do a trumpet movie. Mm-hmm. He needs to do like a singer and then like a sax or something. And then we can have like a Chazelle cinematic jazz universe. universe. <laughs> and then do an epic team up where it's Gosling, Teller, and then three other people. Sure. Being in a band and traveling because I, I mean, obviously yeah. that's never going to happen, no. but I would, I just like the way Chazelle just keeps infusing jazz in all of his movies. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah. And I'm interested to see what he's going to do because he's next going to do um, uh, First first Man, the yep. Neil Armstrong biopic, yep. um, with Ryan Gosling again, which I think... And that's in the 60s. Yeah. When jazz is at its heights or beginning at its heights. Oh, that's true. So <laughs> you have to think <laughs> there there's going to be, be jazz, jazz on the radio. Or something. At least, yeah. So, <laughs> yeah, I'm, I, I'm interested to see what he does to continue his jazz trend. But yeah, I think this is great. Um, I'm definitely looking forward to any movie that Damien Chazelle is going to do in the future. I'm going to be on board yeah. uh, to see it very early on because I think he just proved yet again that he's just a talented, talented dude who continues to evolve and bring like kind of a fresh perspective to film in yeah. a weird way. And even though there are threads that you can you know connect on both these films, they're very different mm-hmm. and they're all 
all things that I've not seen, um, at least consciously, you know, in film before. Right. Well, because I, I mean, both of them are about what it takes to realize your dream. Mm-hmm. Uh, but Blash is Miles Teller, you know, trying Jim. to make it as a jazz drummer and overcome J.K. Simmons' incredibly harsh uh, teachings and ultimately proving him wrong, or I guess or proving him right in a sense that Miles Teller could actually be better than what he let on if J.K. Simmons had pushed him hard enough. Yeah. And this one, it's the same kind of story or theme where you can achieve your dream if you're able to if you're able to take it mm-hmm. like it's like the line if i if i can take it i can make it yeah. uh lone survivor i always think about that line but um i think i think that's just kind of the pers- that's the, the the overarching theme i think of Chazelle's two movies so far is that that kind of sense of you can achieve your dreams it's it's not going to be easy but if you want it bad enough you can do it Mm-hmm. Yeah, and then like especially in the face of like I think La La Land kind of kind of played up to a lesser degree other people's expectations mm-hmm. and maybe self doubt, but uh, that was definitely um, the de- maybe probably a more a, a different aspect to yeah. lay in there. But that's all I got for La La Land. Do you have any other thoughts? Um, man, no. That that that's all I've got too. But it's definitely one I'm very much looking forward to seeing again. Super delightful. Like two two movies that I would maybe in my top ten have all, both involved, you know, some very nostalgic LA stuff. Uh, the other one being um, Hail Caesar. But oh, I'm, not, really? I'm not sure yet. But both of those, both I I've got the I've got the hankering to go uh, rewatch that now. Yeah. So. Okay. Well, uh, that's it. So. Uh, during our time away, be sure to tell us your thoughts on everything we covered by tweeting us at Friends and Film. Uh, at, uh, we just do updates on the podcast movies and more. You can follow me personally on Twitter at Coops underscore Hoops. And you can follow me, Josh, at Just Joshua Ryan. Uh, and if you enjoy this episode, please head over to iTunes. Give us a five-star review with comments. So you can tell us what we do good, what we do bad, what we can improve on to keep you listening. Uh, and then share this episode on social media on twitter facebook whatever just to help us reach a broader audience next week we're not exactly sure what we're doing again because it's still oscar season kind of but mm-hmm. also the start of the new year so we have a couple of options potentially depending on what movies we get in fort wayne uh potentially it could be ben affleck's uh live by night so we may be able to speak more on maybe if Warner Brothers should be interfering with Ben Affleck's <laughs> yeah. just, just creative Time for vision. Intervention. Um, I was still Live by Night could be the worst movie of the year, and I would still say leave the man alone. Um, we also may see Patriots Day if that oh, if that expands, and if not, I'm pretty sure we have a new release coming with M Night Shyamalan's Split. Starring James McAvoy and Anya Taylor Joy, so a little That's right. New Mutants preview in a weird sense. So one of those three films are likely what we'll be reviewing next week. We're not exactly sure yet, um, so you have to tune in to find out which one it is. Of the three, which one would you be most interested in seeing? The viewers should be, or the listeners should be, most excited to check out as well. 
Me? Yeah. Oh, sorry. Patriots <laughs> Day, definitely. Yeah. Uh, it's um, Mark Wahlberg, uh, John Goodman, J.K. Simmons. I'm uh, leaving out like five other people that are in this mm-hmm. movie. But uh, a very recent event that, you know, brought a community in the most, you know, brought together the best parts of us as a community and as a country. Um, so that's what I'm excited for. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I mean, I just mentioned, a, I just did a quote from Lone Survivor. So obviously I'm a big Peter Berg fan. I really like Deepwater Horizon as well from earlier this year, or I guess 2016 last year, whatever. Yeah. The technicalities. Um, so yeah, Patriots Day would definitely be the one for me that I'm most excited to see, see him and Wahlberg team up yet again. But right up, right near there, I think is split. I'm really interested to see M. Night Shyamalan's next film, because I think James McAvoy looks so eerie and creepy and mm-hmm. charming in the same sense. And just, I like the idea of seeing him play like 28 different personalities or whatever it is. Yeah. It'd be, um, it'd be cool to see how that plays out yeah. across the entire film. And I, I want to, I want to get some exposure to Anya Taylor joy. So if, and when she's officially joins the mutants, I'll have some history with her. Cause I've not seen the witch yet. Um, I right. can confirm that Patriots Day will be out nationally on January 13th. Okay. Well, so our rankings would be, if as long as we get it, which I believe we are, is will be Patriots Day. If we don't, it'll be split. And if we don't get that, it'll be live by night. Sounds and good And if to me. we don't get any three of those, then it'll be a big surprise because <laughs> we have no idea what else is uh, potentially going to happen. So that's it for us. Josh? Thanks for stopping by, everybody. Thanks again to, for tuning in to the Friends of Film Podcast. Be sure to check in next week for another review.